Hello, this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. A lifetime has passed since the horrific events of Taco Tuesday. The tiny bit of live action in the Lego movie was, for me, sensational. Really elevated that film. Can they do it again with the sequel? It doesn't matter what your names are. You walk around here interrupting the rock you like you just stepped out of Oliver Twist. Please, sir, may I have some more advice, sir? You want some advice? Here's a rock advice. Shut your mouth. Thanks, Dwayne. Dwayne Johnson, he's really stretching himself this week as he plays a wrestler in Fighting With My Family. I spent all night jealous, hungry, scared. I'm find something good. And Al Nicole is back on the big screen as a police detective picking over an old case in Destroyer. Hello, 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 hello. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vari McIntyre and Michael Campbell Hello. both have. Now, as always, we have a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass to give away. But first... Bring me your fiercest leader. Yeah, that's me, this guy, coming through. I sense no leadership qualities from you. My readout confirms you to be soft, fragile, and a less than worthy opponent. Hey, you watch what you say about Emmett. He saved the universe a few years back. The Lego Movie 2 was originally set for 2017, but we had to delay it for years to make way for Lego Batman and Lego this and Lego that. But finally, it's here. And I've always thought that Lego movies must be triggering for dads everywhere with flashbacks to stepping on Lego in the rumpus room. And then I discovered on IMDb, so this could be true, that Stephanie Beatrice, who stars in the film, has a small scar on her forehead from, no kidding, tripping on a piece of Lego. I have heard that, yes. Which is hilarious. So the Lego Movie 2 is set a few years after the fall of Bricksburg, which we saw in the first film, and Duplo invaders have kidnapped Lucy, Batman and the rest of the main crew. I won't list them all. And Emmett has to find and save them. So I will admit that even though these movies are not made for me necessarily... I really love these Lego movies. What do you mean not made for you? Well, you I know. it's made for everyone. Well, that's the thing. I think they have an appeal beyond like the kid market, which is so weird because it's a movie based on a toy. Oh, I think it's definitely aimed at both audiences because there is so much meta, so many nudge, nudge, wink, wink moments. I totally agree with you. I know that a few weeks ago we talked about uh, A Dog's Way Home and I had said that it might be good for kids but it doesn't cross that threshold Mm. into being appealing for adults as well, whereas this movie really goes for that. For instance, there's a joke in this movie about folk singer Elliot Smith and kids are never going to understand that joke. But it's obviously not for them. They've added that in for older audiences. So I I feel less bad about really loving these movies. So who's, you know, the Lego films, they're really big, but who is actually behind them? Like who wrote it, for example? Well, the original pair who did the first film, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, wrote this one. But instead of directing it, they handed the reins to Mike Mitchell, who's done Trolls and a, a few other kids' films like that. And these guys both did Spider Verse as well. Oh. The Oscar winner. So they've got some clout to it. But what I liked is that, and we've talked about it before, having someone different direct sequels actually enhances the films. Like with the Harry Potter series, they had multiple directors. Yeah, until they found David Yates, evidently. Yeah. And you mentioned Lord and Miller who were the writing duo that that wrote this in the first one. And I think... Next to Saoirse Ronan, they might be the people we've talked about most on this podcast. Every couple of weeks I feel like we talk about Lord Miller, Spider-Verse, Smallfoot, roughly half of the movie Solo that they were fired from. But they have this really great way of taking things that sound terrible 
like a 21 Jump Street reboot and making it something that is so much better than it should be. And a sequel to the Lego movie didn't sound that great because they it felt like they almost kind of fluked the first one. Mm. It shouldn't have been good and it was great. Now they're going to do it again. How are they going to pull it off? And they just kind of wisely just kind of shift gear and just do a different kind of a film now. Yeah. I think recently sequels have been doing really well. Incredibles 2, the second wreck at Ralph. I've always thought that sequels, most people say aren't as good as the first, but especially kids' movies, they just make it for the money. Sometimes it's straight to DVD or something like that. It's usually the the second Lion King, the second, all those Disney cartoons are never as good as the first one. But really recently, the last few years, sequels have been doing really well. So I will say I think this has some problems that sequels generally have, which is they introduce a whole slew of new characters as well. But sometimes it's at the detriment of like characters from the original film. So yeah. there's a bunch of characters from the original that get kind of barely any screen time now to make way for the new characters. And that's not to say the new characters are bad, but that would be my slight irk with the movie is introducing all of these new characters like they do. For instance, there is Queen Wandeva Awantanabe, the quote-unquote villain of the film. And it, yeah. you'll discover why we say quote-unquote, I guess, uh, the further you get into the film because not all is as it seems. But... I did kind of feel bad for some of the characters I really enjoyed in the first one, barely even being in it. Times have changed. You need to change with them. We have to be tough and battle ready. Look, a shooting star, make a wish. <gasps> oh no. Run! Hurry, the door is slowly closing. <laughs> oh, the pain. It's getting so cold. Emmett, what are you doing? Hooray! See, that wasn't so bad. Nothing got in. Ah, something got in. What these films are surprisingly really good at, that like the Lego Batman and the Ninjago or whatever else they've made don't have is they're actually really good metaphors for like family issues. So the first movie, people that remember, is actually a really good story about a father and son connecting over something or as it turns out, like being pulled apart over something and, and different ways to live your life. And and that kind of comes into fruition throughout the story being like a whole metaphor for this family thing. And this movie, again, has similar notes and, and we don't want to give away what that is, obviously, but it is an overarching metaphor for family that actually works in a surprisingly slick way. Yeah, there was more of that as well in the first movie. They tried not to show the, the human characters until sort of right at the end and then that's kind of spoiled for the second movie. Yeah. You know it's real humans playing with the Lego and the actual movie you're seeing is inside someone's imagination. Yeah. So they don't have to hide that anymore and so they were able to use the live action. We can't talk about this movie without talking about Rex Danger Vest, mm. which is one of the new characters that comes in that is also voiced by Chris Pratt. So Chris Pratt plays Emmett. Also he does like a dual role as Rex Dangervest, which is essentially every Chris Pratt character he's played in the last five years melded into one person. Right. They actually quote it as uh, Rex Dangervest is a galaxy-defending archaeologist, cowboy and raptor trainer. Yes, they, even as far as to say that he has chiseled good looks that were under a layer of baby fat for all those years. Yes. <laughs> so, so maybe young kids aren't going to get that, but for <laughs> older audiences, hilarious. But I also love that they've taken, you know, because Chris Pratt wasn't famous when they made the Lego movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy came out the next year and Lord and Miller have just taken this opportunity to just kind of make fun of him throughout the film and then have him voice it. 
And there are actual little raptor characters as well, the little Lego units of <laughs> yeah. raptors. That's cute. Is it Lego or Lego? Well, you're from South Australia, aren't you, Ari? Oh, so you say Lego. Lego. <laughs> no, I've said Lego the whole time. Yeah, you just you, the, you yeah. already had the one slip at the end. Okay, good. <laughs> so who should see this film? I mean, me. I, I loved it. <laughs> if you like the first one, it it doesn't fall into the repeating itself tropes uh, that a lot of kids' films generally do. Some characters that I really enjoyed didn't get as much play as I wanted, but it is a surprisingly like fresh new direction that they took it. Yeah, I was happy that they were able to sustain the level of humor and interesting plot over these several movies even though this is the second one we've had batman and all those so if you love those ones i think this is a really good one to take a group of friends with and have a good night out oh and karen you'll be happy to know that they address the pain of stepping on a lego throughout this movie (laughs) oh good 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 if i call your name that means you'll be coming with me to florida Paige. thank you all very much you have to take my brother. No one deserves this more than Zach. I wish you the best, son. But this is the end of the line for you. Do you know what it's like to want one thing in life? And then your own sister takes it away from you. It was my dream too. I have no idea who I'm supposed to be out there. You're not just doing this for you. You're doing it for the family. Look, The Rock can be in anything he wants and I will support him. That is a direct quote from my friend Johanna when I told her that we were talking about his new film Fighting With My Family. And this one isn't a stretch for The Rock as he's playing a wrestler. Yes, and this is something I want to clear up. All the media about this movie has been about The Rock and I'm not going to bury the lead. He's not in it very much. (laughs) I'm just going to say it straight out. What this movie is actually about, it's a story of Paige, who was a wrestler I had never heard of. Uh, And it's it's her true story uh, of... Uh, She is now a WWE superstar, but she came from this really bizarre, small English town from a really kooky English family that loves to wrestle. And this is the kind of movie that uh, I was not interested to up until a single moment uh, that completely turned me around. So when I first heard that, you know, it was produced by The Rock, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then it's about WWE, which I care very little about so I'm like that's fine and it wasn't until I went on the IMDB months ago and I saw that it was written and directed by Stephen Merchant who co-created The Office and Extras and works a lot with Ricky Gervais that suddenly I was like oh hang on a minute this actually might be something I'm really into. Yeah this movie felt like an indie production and yet it involves The Rock. Vince Vaughn is in it as well. So it's this weird collaboration that I thought it was just this small cute little English film but it has these connections with Hollywood as well. And I was like interested to see where this was going to go. Yeah, this is far more like Billy Elliot. Yeah, wow. It was actually based on a documentary that aired in 2012 and I heard The Rock said he was on tour somewhere and he was in a hotel and just saw the documentary and he was like, this is amazing, I want to make this into a movie. The woman herself, Paige, who's now I think retired from a neck injury from WWE, was just 26 I think, like recently. Yeah. So to have all of this fame, to actually have this story of coming from a small English town, getting into WWE, becoming the the women's champion and then you get a documentary made and then The Rock sees that and wants to make a feature film out of it. Like how amazing. Just like the notorious RBG and Ruth Bader Ginsburg except a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But unlike that, this does slightly sometimes veer into a bit of a vanity project for The Rock, who is always the best guy in every scene. Yeah. <laughs> Classic The Rock. It stars Nick Frost. Uh, that people will probably most know from Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz and movies like that yeah. as this uh, wrestling-obsessed father that is almost kind of like it would seem at first that he had been like training his kids from day one to be a huge wrestling stars. Mm. Uh, and he he is a real scene stealer, as is the director Stephen Merchant has a, a cameo that is the most Stephen Merchant cameo in the world as this kind of uptight father that doesn't quite get this whole wrestling thing. Of course. He says at one point at dinner as well, he's like, well, isn't wrestling fake? Yeah. And the parents just like <laughs> drop their forks and they're like, it's rigged, it's not fake. <laughs> but it, that's what I mean. It's so much more like charming and down to earth than anything you'd expect given, especially some of the promotion. Again, it's all about The Rock, The Rock, The Rock. And I get why because he's such a huge star. But I think that that sells a different kind of movie. And the movie that this actually is is way better. Well, Lena Headey is in it as well from Game of Thrones. Yeah. So she's a big name. But she's gone back to her more original British shows that she used to do, like those 90s, early 2000s movies, which I liked seeing her in that sort of basic British punk rock sort of role. What? It's Dwayne Johnson. How are you? Prove it. If you're some man, what the rock is cooking? Yeah, and I'm Vin Diesel, mate. I'm sorry. It's worth noting as well that this follows, you know, somewhat of a formula of the sports movie. But most importantly, the, the thing that you need to land most in the sports movie is the final match or the final uh, game or the final, in this case, wrestling match. And that moment actually does land. And even though I don't care about wrestling and I never watched WWE, I found myself being like, yes, get her, you know, <laughs> which I think just shows that they have just made a, a tightly constructed underdog British comedy that actually lands and made me care about something I didn't care about at the beginning. What I didn't realise about WWE is how much of a performance it is. I always just sort of like waved it off as it's as like boxing or something like that. But that the people themselves who are the wrestlers have to be characters as well. Like I know they all give themselves sort of quirks and costumes and names and things like that. But in this one it really delves into that idea that you are a personality and the audience is there with you and they can interact so it's this weird interactive performance it's not just people sitting in a room watching someone wrestle yes but interactive performance doesn't sound nearly as good as pro wrestling is this Stephen Merchant's first I mean I know he's like been on he was in Logan for example he's been in big movies but is this his directorial debut for cinema no so a couple of years ago he made a movie he and Ricky Gervais co-directed it called Cemetery Junction this movie is actually tonally really similar to that movie, in fact. If, if you've seen that movie, it's this kind of coming of age. It almost paints Britain as this kind of like depressing grey uh, uh, clump of houses where everyone lives the same kind of lives and it very much has that uh, tone to it. Uh, but then this one is juxtaposed to the like LA sunshine and the palm trees and the quote-unquote fakeness of LA. And he also directed all of the offers and extras that we should probably mention as well. It's not like this is his first film and he's winging it. He's He knows how to do this kind of stuff. So who should see this film? I, I think uh, if you're like me and you're a huge Stephen Merchant fan, that is the angle that I attack this from. And it is through and through a Stephen Merchant film. So if you like extras, if you like the offers, if you like that 
British sensibility, then this is this is that. Don't be fooled by The Rock being on the poster so much. There's a show on Netflix called Glow and it's got Alison Brie in it. Oh, yeah. And that's about the first female wrestling group from the 80s. And if you like that, you'll like this film as well. It's about female empowerment in a really male-dominated wrestling sport. Also in cinemas, Hotel Mumbai. A gripping but harrowing drama about the terrorist attack on the Hotel Mumbai. Sometimes, always, never. A dark comedy about Scrabble with Bill Nye. You can hear about both of those by clicking on the previous episode of whatever podcast app you're in right now. Detective Bell. Who is it? No ID, no idea. I know who did this. I know your whole story. Placing our agent undercover. She'll look right enough next to our guy. If we do this, we accept the consequences. Do you love me? You know I do. Destroyer, it seems, took a lot out of Nicole Kidman. Apparently she had the flu throughout the shoot and just pushed through it. And in the last week it got so bad that she could hardly stand. Luckily, she has had something of a transformation for this film and perhaps you won't notice. (laughs) What's it about? Well, luckily her character is like that as well. So maybe they just wrote it into the character or she just used it because her character is quite harrowed (laughs) and cannot stand Is it weird to say that I really wanted this character to have a nap the whole movie? (laughs) (laughs) Felt so sorry for her. So she plays Erin who's a detective and a past case she worked undercover with a gang and the gang leader resurfaces. So Nicole Kidman has to go back through her old contacts to find him and get revenge. It's the classic, you know, it was an unresolved case in her past and now she's got a personal stake in it. Mm. So she just can't let it go and she's obsessive. I'm sorry for lying to you. I lied. I stole. And worse. To me, this movie feels like a real huge, awesome performance wrapped around a pretty by-the-numbers crime thriller. Well, everyone was talking about Oscars for her performance. Was the film just not quite, you know, different and original enough? It's not to say that the film isn't uh, isn't a good film. It, it kept me interested the whole time, but her performance is actually better than the film that it's in, if that makes kind of sense. I feel the same way about um, The Theory of Everything. I think that the performance of Stephen Hawking is actually better than the movie it's in. The movie is kind of a by-the-numbers biopic. And similar, her performance is so good and she's so transformed, similar to, I guess, Christian Bale in Vice, where you're like, Mm. doesn't even really feel like Nicole Kidman. Mm. Uh, But the storyline... It was nothing I hadn't seen before. I think her performance felt flat to me. Really? She totally transformed into a different character but I don't know if that was just the prosthetics and like they put a few wrinkles on her face and and made her eyes red (laughs) having the flu. Maybe it wasn't prosthetics. Um, But I didn't get enough emotion from her face so I didn't know what she was feeling half the time. I did feel sorry for her. So it did evoke an emotion in me that I was – invested enough in the character that, as you said, I just wanted her to have a nap. I just felt really (laughs) sorry for her. But on the whole, I didn't feel like I cared enough what happened. She isn't the nicest character, we should point out. Yeah, she's not meant to be. We talked about this when we talked about uh, King of Thieves a few weeks ago. Mm. 
they don't go out of your way particularly to endear you to her. You're supposed to be with her because you've you've seen the things that she's seen. However, it's done in a non-linear fashion. So this keeps flashing back between current day Nicole Kidman in the prosthetics and she's looking all different and then it it's flashing back to the case that she didn't quite crack when she was undercover. And whenever it does this, it always feels like one story is more interesting than the other. And to me, the flashbacks were more interesting than the current day stuff. However, that's what you get less of. Yeah, I felt that too. I was really more interested in what had happened and that serves to, I guess, make you invested in the current storyline. But because she was so tired and (laughs) depressed, it just made me feel like that as well. So who should see this film? If you're kind of like me, and I always tend to steer towards the the weirder, darker crime movies on this podcast traditionally, it's a very compelling movie, especially for her performance. It's just not groundbreaking in any way. The character reminded me of Charlize Theron in Monster and also Jennifer Garner in Peppermint. It's that sort of storyline. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that this is in limited release, so you should check where it's playing if you want to see it. For your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Instagram or Facebook and leave a comment on the Cinema Crew post answering the question... Because we're talking about the Lego Movie 2, how big that is, what movie would you like to see get a Lego makeover? Do that and you could win. Next week, Dumbo. Can you believe it? Disney has a new Dumbo for us all. Jordan Peele's Get Out was one of the films of 2018. He's teamed up with Elizabeth Moss of The Handmaid's Tale for his new film, Us. And how do teenagers who spend all their time in hospitals find love? We find out with five feet apart. Anyway, that is next week. Until then, thank you, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, at the very least, you'll hear us next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.